All right, it's been a while since I was stood up here and preached to you, and so we're going to look into God's Word this morning. Turn your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 24. What we're about to do, Lord willing and our pastor's willing, <laughs> is I'm going to, I'm starting in on a series on the great blessings of God in Genesis chapter 4, what relates to the story of Abraham and his servant and the choosing of a bride for Isaac. The last message I preached, which was a while ago, we learned what it meant to be great in God's eyes. The Bible reads that whosoever will be chief among you, let him be servant of all. Today's message we're going to find a guide that's going to help us to reach the greatness as God defines it. So, join with me in our little adventure this morning, and hopefully the weeks to follow as God wills that we look into this passage. But for a moment, set your mind to answer this very one, this one question. What great God-honoring task do you think the Lord wants you to do? Something that seems difficult, or maybe even impossible. Now, a shot. All right. Think big. Big business leaders like to refer to this as a bog or a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal. Something really so big that it almost seems impossible to achieve. And perhaps you would think of something connected to this church, Heritage Bible Church, or the community that you live in, something that you really want to do to impact your community, or something in your place of work. Somebody that you want to reach for the gospel of Christ or something that you would love to see transpire in your workplace. Something really big, a big goal. What is a long-term task or a short-term task that you believe would truly honor the Lord? Anything coming to mind? If it is, take a tip. Take, take, make, take a little piece of paper, your bullet and something, and a pen, and jot that down. Make a brief note about it, even if it seems impossible. Because as we're going to see today, that there are ways to turn problems into projects and solve problems with success. As I said before, as the Sundays, the Sundays that I'll be preaching, I want to devote our attention to the Lord's work through Abraham and his servant. As, as it is recorded for us in Genesis chapter 24. This passage will help us to understand how to apply God's glory. And as we have talked in weeks and weeks that, that I preached for us, God's glory is being described as His unique excellence. The, the excellence that makes God absolutely unique. In each of our life stories. And we talked about that too. Every one of us has a life story. Every one of us has 
a line, and it's the story of our life and how God's glory intersects with our life story, and how we come to intersections where we need the glory of God in order to keep moving forward on that road that he's put us on. Otherwise, we can get derailed or we can get stopped at an intersection and not know where to go, but God has given us intersections for his glory. And this is one of those passages where it helps us to understand how on our road we can trust in the promises that God has given to us. If we approach this in the right way, we will be able to trace the practical steps that will help us to praise the splendor of God's grace. Our Father's blessing will overflow in our faithful obedience if we can get a hold of these practical steps. Today we're going to look at three main points. The first point we're going to look at is the reality of God's blessing. The second one that we're going to look at is acting in accord with God's blessing. And the last one is understanding God's blessing clearly. The reality of God's blessing. If you haven't already turned, go ahead and turn with me to Genesis 24. We're going to read the first eight verses together. And Abraham was old and well stricken in age. And the Lord blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go unto my country and to my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again to the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house, and from the land of my kindred, and which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thee thy seed will I give this land, and he shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt make a, take a wife unto my son from thence. And if the woman will not be willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear of this my oath, only bring my son thither again. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we consider this passage, as we consider the, the dialogue between Abraham and his servant, and as we consider the faith and the blessing that is, that is uh, displayed here, I pray, Lord, that we would be able to get a grasp, that we would get a glimpse into the promises and the blessing that God gave to Abraham and the promises that Abraham carried forth throughout all Scripture. Just pray that you would guide my words. Give me the words to say that, that your word would go forth true. In Christ's name, amen. The literal meaning of the first phrase, Abraham, is Abraham had entered into many days. Abraham was old. And this is, the, this is a great reminder for the young and the older life. Aging gives us at least one advantage. I'm sure it gives us probably more advantages than just one, but it does give us one advantage. It gives us experience. Each new day is a test on how we will use God's wisdom. The more days you have faced, 
the more experience you have in embracing or rejecting foolishness. Some days we win with wisdom. Some days we fall flat on our face face because we fumbled with foolishness. We allowed foolishness to become part of the equation of how we deal with situations that come into our life. Abraham had made right decisions and wrong decisions. From his experience, he was able to teach his servant. And what's really cool about this church is it is growing is we all have a great deal to learn from those who have entered into many days. Experience helps us make good decisions, but often we gain that experience by making bad decisions. And one of the things that I was thinking about as I was reading this and I was understanding this, I was going over the scripture and musing about experience. David and I are both professional painters. We didn't get that way on day one. We had to be taught and we had to make mistakes and we had to learn how to do things a proper way to gain the experience that we needed to execute our job efficiently, and with quality. And experience taught teaches you that when you paint a floor, you don't start at the door and work in. And you finally, you get yourself into a corner and you're walking around and you got this little square and you're trapped in a room that's full of wet paint. And the only way out is to walk across the wet floor and paint your way out with wet feet. Experience says you don't do that. You start in the corner, you work your way out to the door. And that's a very elementary and a very simple idea. But these are the kinds of things, these are the kinds of experiences that we go through in life that often the experiences that we learn the most from are the ones that hurt the worst. The ones that we've really made a mess of. The mistakes that caused us pain. And then when we get to that same situation again, all of a sudden we're realizing wait a minute, I've been down this road before and we're not doing this again. That's wisdom speaking. Wisdom understands that you're about to go down the same road you went before and you change direction. So Abraham had a myriad of life experiences that gave him wisdom, that gave him the experience of age to learn from. And one of those was the certainty of God's promise. The Lord had blessed Abraham. And when Abraham was prepared to offer Isaac up to God, the Lord stopped him and blessed him and said, that in blessing, I will bless thee. And in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. Now let's think back about that again. God came to Abraham and told Abraham, you're going to have a son in your old age. And Sarah laughed because she was, my, if I want to put my memory correct, she was in her late 80s, 90. Okay. She was old. And I'm sure that probably struck her funny. Maybe with a little bit of fear. And God gave a child, a promised child. And then all of a sudden, God says, take that promised child and take him up on this hill and sacrifice him to me. Kill him. And Abraham didn't question. Abraham took his son, gathered all the needs that they had, put it on an ox. They went to the base of the hill. They went up into the mountain. Abraham built the altar. He set the altar. He did everything. He even got Isaac on the altar. He bound him and got him on the altar. And God provided 
a substitutionary sacrifice. And it is when it was at this point where he said what he said in Genesis 22. He says, in blessing, I will bless thee. And in multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars in the heaven. And as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. How many of us would be willing to obey God's voice in that extreme of a request? That was a life experience that taught Abraham how to trust in God's promises. Today we understand that this great blessing comes to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Paul wrote in Galatians 3.8, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Through the line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah would come the Lord Jesus Christ. God's Son. And we just celebrated that season. We celebrated the season of Christmas where God's Son was born of a baby and he came to live on earth as a man. And he lived on on the earth as every man would, would live and has lived before. He experienced all the same experiences. He experienced all the same temptations. He experienced everything. But one thing that he experienced that we did not and we will not is he experienced the death sentence that every one of us deserved. But he would rise again, and he would lead the way for every redeemed saint of God. This is the blessing that was promised to Abraham. So through the finished work of Jesus Christ, every nation, every ethnic group on earth would be blessed. And Paul rejoiced in Colossians 1, 5, and 6. He said that the gospel is bearing fruit throughout the whole world. And as Peter preached in Acts 3, 26, God, is blessed, God has blessed us and turning us away from our iniquities. Now, as Christians, we rejoice in these great blessings. And when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he exclaimed, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Think about that phrase for a minute. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all superlative. All means all, and that's all all means. All spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. This is the reality of our blessing from God. Now, let the Father of blessing overflow in your faithful obedience. Something I wanted to bring out and mention to you, it's interesting that through the finished work of Jesus Christ, every nation and every ethnic group on earth would be blessed. Let's think back about some of the ethnic groups that came about because of Abraham and maybe some bad decisions that he made. Let's think back to Ishmael, Hagar. Abraham took it into his own hands and said, I got to, I got to, we got to have a child. So he took Hagar, and Hagar produced a child. Who is Ishmael? Who is Ishmael? Ishmael is the father of the Muslim nations. And it says that Ishmael would strive with every man. Isn't that so true? If you look at the nation of Islam, the Muslim nations, they strive literally with everyone, including their own. But yet, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, God's finished work was made available to even 
them, even the Muslims, even the people who would strive against Israel forever. God made a way for even them to come to Christ. That is a huge blessing. That is a huge amount of grace. Now, as Christians, we rejoice in these great blessings of God. Abraham also understood the scope of God's promise. Abraham was determined to grab all of God's great blessings. And today we can see, the, see that the promise Lord did come through Abraham's line. And in verse 7, we learn how Abraham looked upon the promised land. He looked at it so seriously, he did not want his son to leave the promised land. He wanted him to stay there. And today we can look back and see the fulfillment of that promise. The promised Lord would be born in the promised land. So God promised Abraham that his seed would be blessed. God also promised Abraham that he would give him a parcel of land called the promised land. Not only did God, did Jesus Christ come through the line of Abraham, but he was born in the land that God gave to Abraham, the promised land. The second thing I want us to look at is Abraham acted in accord with God's blessings. In verses 2 through 4, it reads, And Abraham said unto his his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. But thou shalt go into my country, into my kindred, and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Since God had promised to bless the world through his descendants, Abraham knew Isaac needed a wife. This aging man, Abraham, was determined to trust in the Lord with all of his heart and not lean unto his own understandings as he had before. And I mentioned Ishmael and Hagar. That was a bad bad thing. He leaned on his own understanding in that situation. And if we go back a couple chapters to chapter 20, we see how the story of Abimelech plays out. And Abraham goes to the land where Abimelech is and lies to Abimelech. Tells Abimelech that Sarah is his sister. And they were there. And you read this and you think, oh, okay, that's that's interesting story. And it hit me that that was a long-standing deception. It was long enough for God to make the women of Abimelech barren and for them to realize that. That wasn't just a couple days where Abraham said, oh, yeah, she's my sister, and, and they was found out, and oh, we'll repent and move on. This was a long-standing deception that Abraham and Sarah held out against Abimelech. And then finally, God came to Abimelech, and the long story short is he said, if you take Sarah, I will kill you end of discussion. So, ball's in your court now. Then Abimelech went to Abraham and said, what is this? Abraham made a bad choice. He leaned on his own understanding in that, in that case. So, Abraham understood what it meant to lean on God and to trust in God and not his own understanding because his own understanding got him into trouble. So, he chooses a faithful servant. Abraham chose his eldest servant who rolled over all that he had. This man was a proven servant and leader. 
And as we shall see in the series, he served those whom he led. Every one of us, every one of us is under authority of some capacity. But yet, every one of us has leadership of some capacity. And we have the ability to influence others. And Jesus taught that greatness in God's sight comes by serving, not lording it over others. As Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1.24, we do not take dominion over others' faith, but we are helpers in their joy. We don't come along to somebody and put our finger in their face and tell them how terrible they are failing God, but yet we're supposed to come alongside them and edify them and help them and build them up. And in love, maybe point out something that they need pointed out. But that's being helpers in their joy, not tearing them down, not having dominion or lording our faith over someone else's faith. Abraham also asked his servant for a faithful commitment in the sight of God. Abraham asked his servant to make a commitment in the sight of God, and he placed his hand under his thigh, and this highlighted the procreative power and heritage promised to Abraham. And it's helpful for us to learn the way Abraham taught his servant about God. To accomplish his task, the servant would need to know God and honor him. And he would need to take practical steps that would truly praise the splendor of God's grace. So Abraham taught his servant about God. In verse 3, we see that Abraham taught him that he is the God of heaven and the God of earth. In verse 7, we see that he is Jehovah, God of heaven. In verse 7, we see that he is the God who leads and continues to lead, that he is the God who speaks, that he is the God who makes promises and fulfills them. Abraham's God was not one of the false Canaanite deities from that region. He was God Almighty. Abraham magnified the unique excellence of God, the ruler of the universe, not the God who, not a, God is not a merely a transcendent God most high who rules over heaven. He's not just up there in, 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 this, in the heaven and just overseeing heaven, but he also is the God who created earth and continues to lead us here on earth. He is far from being silent. He's the God who speaks to us. And he is the God who makes promises to his people and fulfills them. Abraham taught these things to his servant so his servant could execute with, what's the word I'm looking for? He could execute rightly. He could do what Abraham wanted him to do correctly. It's interesting that Your view of God will make the difference in the way you approach difficult tasks. The way you see the Lord will change the way you live. If we look at Deuteronomy 31, 8, it says, And the Lord, he it is, doth go before thee. He will not fail thee. He will not forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. If we have an improper view of God, when we go to do a particular task, if we don't see God as being with us, if we don't see God as being our our protector, if we don't see God as being holy, if we don't see God as being who he is, then when we go to do a difficult task, we won't seek God to help us. 
But in Deuteronomy 31.8, it says, And the Lord, he it is that doth go before thee. Not only does he go with us, but he goes before us. And he will be with us. And he will not fail us. He is ever faithful, never failing. God will never fail us, no matter what. Neither will he forsake us. He won't leave us. He won't say, all right, you're on your own. You can figure this out. I'm out of here. I got someone else to tend to over here and somewhere else. So you're on your own. No, God said, I will not forsake ye. Fear not, neither be dismayed. And I love the word fear not because that word fear not happens 365 times in scripture. One time for every day of the year, God tells us to fear not. Why? Because he's given us his promises to be with us. He's given us his promises to go before us. He's given us his promise that he will not forsake us. He's given us his promise that he's always there. Then a little sidebar. Abraham did not want a daughter-in-law who would be the product of Canaanite culture. Who would not view God the way Abraham viewed God. He wanted Isaac to have a wife who would place the highest value on the promises that were made to Abraham. For any young man or woman here, this is really great advice in marriage. Your spouse, the one you choose, will be making disciples of your children, either followers of the world or followers of God. Choose carefully. William Oneck wrote, perhaps tongue-in-cheek, bosses, the bosses who the boss doesn't know exactly what he wants, but he has an uncanny ability to understand what he doesn't want. Think about that for a minute. Sometimes your boss doesn't exactly know what exactly he wants you to do, but he's got a pretty good idea what he doesn't want you to do. He doesn't want you to be lazy. He doesn't want you to be late. He doesn't want you to waste time. He doesn't want you to second guess what he asks you to do. There's a lot of things a boss doesn't want you to do. But sometimes a boss doesn't know exactly what he wants you to do either. Abraham, who had entered into many days, had experiences. Some were excruciating. And he knew when and where he had done things wrong. And he didn't want the next generation to follow his foolish mistakes. Instead, he wanted them to experience a relationship with the living God of heaven. He wanted them to turn their knowledge about God into fellowship with God. He wanted them to follow the path blessed by God's promises. You think about a good runner in a relay race. Abraham was old in years. Abraham was getting ready to pass the mantle to Isaac. Abraham was getting ready to, he was at the twilight of his, at his life or at the very end of his life. The sun was setting on his life, and it was time for Abraham to pass the mantle to Isaac to carry on the promises that were promised to Abraham and to see them come to fruition. He wanted to give Isaac every opportunity and every advantage to grasp the power of God's promises. Abraham wanted the Father's blessings to overflow in obedience in Isaac. So. Our third point is, Abraham was understanding God's blessings clearly. The way his servant responded to Abraham is truly a classic study in every, for every new generation. 
If we approach this the right way, we can learn so much from the generations before us. Young people, you're surrounded by saints of God who have entered into many days. And it's cool to look out here and see young people, people who are just coming up into life and they've got life ahead of them. And if you look around, there are people in this room have been down the road you're about to go down, who have the life experiences, who have gained wisdom, who have gained experience. Surround yourself with those people. Learn from them. Talk to them. It kills me. I hate it when I hear someone say, I don't like old people. My wife's one of her favorite places to go is the nursing home. You know why? Because it's full of people who have lived life, who have so much rich knowledge to give. Christmas time a couple of years back, we were Christmas caroling, and we got into a conversation with a sweet old lady. She was in her, in her 90s. She just talked and talked and talked, and she had so much information to give that we were the last people out because she had so much to say, and it's wise to listen. Abraham wanted to give Isaac that opportunity. But most importantly, it's important to listen to those around us, but most importantly is is to learn to love and follow the Lord's leading. Gospel blessings should lead us to grateful obedience. And be sure that you understand those blessings clearly. And how do we understand those blessings clearly? Getting into God's word, immersing yourself in it. God's blessings become so real and so rich when we immerse ourselves in God's word. And the servant said unto him, Peradventure the woman will not be willing to follow me unto this land. Must I needs bring thy son again to the land from whence thou camest? And Abraham said unto him, Beware that thou bring not my son thither again. The Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house, and from the land of my kindred, which spake unto me, and that swear unto me, saying, Unto thy seed will I give this land, and he shall send his angel before thee, and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from hence. And if the woman be not willing to follow thee, then thou shalt be clear from this thy oath. Only bring not my son thither again. The servant thought through what he was being asked to do. He was a man under authority, but he realized that Abraham's authority only extended so far, knowing that he would have to work with another authority structure, realizing that Abraham was telling his servant, go to another land, go back to my homeland and find a wife for my son. All of a sudden, the servant had to interact with the wife's family her authority structure. And he anticipated a problem and made a recommendation. Two practices of the servant who leads jump out. A, he anticipated a problem, and B, he communicated a possible solution. And there are like two sides of a bass drum that keep those in the parade marching together. Abraham's servant anticipated problems and gave Abraham a recommendation as to how to solve the problem. So when you work in a when you try this in your workplace, first of all, your boss is liable to be shocked. Because most bosses are surrounded by people who live in the moment and simply just do what they're told. They don't think ahead, they don't think back, they just it's I got a task to do, and this is what I'm gonna do, and that's it. That's all I'm gonna do. 
But leaders think ahead to spot potential problems. And they turn those problems into projects, learning to anticipate and making recommendations as they communicate. But you might say, but the servant got it wrong. Abraham warned him not to do what, what he recommended. So was this a success or was this a failure? It was a success because it helped Abraham express his concerns more clearly. Look at the way Abraham did this and learn how to communicate to the next generation. First of all, he explained what to do and not to do. Don't take my son out of this land. And he explained why. Not just that he said, don't do it, but he said, this is the reason why. God promised to give this land to my descendants. And I'm sure that he didn't want Isaac going to another land, finding a wife, marrying her, and staying in another land. God promised that land to Abraham and his, descend, his seed. Isaac was his seed. Isaac needed to stay in the promised land that God gave him. That's why he sent a servant to get a wife for Isaac. And then he explained the person of God, who was behind it all. He explained that the Lord God of heaven and earth was behind the reason why he was sending his servant to get a wife for Isaac. The servant would apply this understanding of the Lord throughout all of Genesis 24, and hopefully we'll get to see that as time progresses throughout this year. He would magnify the unique excellence of God to to co-workers and complete strangers, working within the limits of what he was prescribed and proscribed, basically what what he was to do and not to do. He would accomplish the task. It is in this setting that we will see the spectacular work of our great God. Each one of us has God's grace with which to run a race. Every one of us, every one of us has a different race to run. We're all going, we're all running a race for God, but our race looks different. Every one of us has got a different road, a different path and God, that God has us on. And every one of us will run into intersections where God's glory intersects with our, with our story. But God gives us the grace to run that race, to get to those intersections, to see God's glory, and to continue to move on to the end, to the finish of the race. And that's every one of our goals, is to see the end, to see the finish, to get to the place where God said, well done, my good and faithful servant. The Lord works on our limits. Let God's blessings overflow in our faithful obedience. Be obedient to God. Genesis 24 guides us into the being great in God's eyes. It teaches us how to serve our sovereign. Learn how to anticipate and communicate. Use recommendations to respond to problems. Listen closely as you discover the best practices and principles to apply in every situation. And most importantly, learn how to praise the Lord in every one of your projects. We, I talked briefly about God's glory intersecting with our life story. But the greatest act of God's glory was when he went to the cross of Calvary. Our life story, our greatest need met God's greatest deed. God's glory came down from heaven and put his son on the cross of Calvary to intercede, 
to die the death sentence that we deserved. Our greatest need. Our greatest need was a blood sacrifice. Something holy enough to sacrifice and to cover our sin for all eternity and everyone else's sin for all eternity. And that happened at the cross of Calvary because of God's great glory. Because of his unique excellence, he provided a way for us to be reconciled to his son. I trust that first and foremost, that is something that everyone in this room has done. And if you haven't, I I urge you to to get in the scriptures, get with someone, explain to you how to become a child of God so that your life can overflow with blessings because of obedience. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your rich blessings to each and every one of us. We thank you for the grace that you've given each one of us as we move along in the, in, on a road of life. And as we run into obstacles, we run into things that cause us to pause, we realize that in your word, there is an intersection where your glory meets our, our problems. And it allows us to continue moving forward on the road, in the race. I pray, Lord, that as we go from this day, that we would be faithful in our obedience to you and that we would indeed see rich, bless- rich blessings come from above. In Christ's name, amen.